It's Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hi everyone, I'm Phil Bliss, a business visionary, and welcome to Toronto's Podcast, part of the Canada's Podcast Network your source of the great insights from entrepreneurs across Canada. Today, we're talking with Doug Pfeiffer, an accomplished entrepreneur and musician and musical historian. Doug, welcome to Canada's podcast. Let's just sort of move in a bit and sort talk about how did you get here? How did your journey start, entrepreneurial journey start? Now, tell me a bit about how you became an entrepreneur. Well, I think it started from very, very young. I grew up always working. I grew up on a farm. Um, it was a, not a full, you know, active dairy farm or anything like that, but we grew up with chickens. So when I was a little kid, I'm, you know, collecting the eggs and we're selling them to the neighbors and we're sharing. And so I, I always understood the idea of getting up and working and building a business from your own. By the time I was 12, I inherited a little paper route from the, another kid who didn't want to do it and learned very quickly at you know, what has to go on to actually to grow it and build it. And I learned customer management. I got lousy tips from the people. So I started being very nice and happy and talking about their, oh, I see you painted your porch and the tips got bigger. And so I very quickly learned that, you know, the customer service and customer appreciation is a big part about building a business. So we were just talking earlier, we're somewhat mature entrepreneurs. Um, well, I don't know whether we're ever mature, so that's fine. That might be something to do with why we're still entrepreneurs. But what are you doing today? You, you know, what's your focus today? Well, today I'm actually celebrating my birthday. So oh, happy birthday. Yeah, I'm 57 years old today. And part of me wonders, how did that happen? Because it feels like yesterday I was 27. But what I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm been running a um, marketing firm. It's a, a niche advertising agency, and I've been running that since 1989. And it mm-hmm. cruises along, does its job. We have a very limited clientele. I'm not looking for new business. We're just having fun running the business. And I've really transformed a lot of my personal time from from that business to a, the passion that I've had all my life. Um, so throughout my life, I've been an entrepreneur. I've started a number of companies. But what I love is I'm, as goofy as it sounds, I'm a jazz musician. I'm a saxophonist. And so the love of music, well, one thing I, I have learned very quickly about being a jazz musician is it's not a very lucrative career. So I've kept it as a hobby. And now I'm spending more and more time in the world of saxophones and saxophone history and playing. And, and just my passion is becoming potentially my future career. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. You know, we both live in, in, in the greater Toronto area. Why here? You know, what do you think? I mean, what, are the, what benefits have you found to doing business in, in this area versus sort of we're also fairly well-traveled versus other areas? I mean, Toronto's just the mecca. I mean, you know, in the United States, every city has its one or two or three big corporations. Well, here in Toronto, we've... Apart from the uh, oil companies, we got everything. The whole, the whole country is here. All the corporations. Um, I don't know what the number is, but a huge percentage of Fortune 500 Canadian head offices are in Toronto. So it's, mm-hmm. it's absolutely a mecca. Um, where I built my business was in three key industries, was the automotive industry, 
packaged goods industry and the pharmaceutical industry. Well, there's just a plethora of clients in Toronto for all three of those industries. Would you recommend Toronto for you know some of the younger entrepreneurs starting a business? Absolutely. Um, However, speaking personally, I don't consider myself a, a Toronto boy. I, as I said, mm-hmm. I grew up on a farm, so I love land and plowed fields and that. There are great opportunities just mm-hmm. outside of Toronto within, within uh, well, especially since you don't have to commute every day. I was downtown yesterday and was shocked. It was 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and for the first time in, I think, a decade, I didn't have a traffic jam on the Don Valley Parkway. Oh, that's good. <laughs> oh. You know, my personal take of it is have your business a little on the rural side. I don't think you need to have a Queen Street address these days. I haven't had a downtown, of an actual downtown client for almost 20 years. Most of my clients are north of the 401. Yeah, we're, we're in the west side of the city and we, still have, we, we have clients all over the place internationally as well. So I think Toronto is a great hub to do business from. Importantly, there's great talent to have in our businesses. I think that's, that's one of the, the great things about Toronto, basically. You've explained where your business is. I, I, I want to know a little bit more about the saxophone side of it. And tell us a bit more about this blooming thing. Uh, we talked about it before. I think it's cool. Well, um, as I said, I, I started playing uh, clarinet in grade seven and then switched to saxophone. It was a, a funny story. I, I had a natural affinity for music. I'd already been studying um, classical piano for several years. So I did have it a bit of an advantage on the other students. And one day my teacher came into, I was actually in German class, and he pulled me out of class and he said, I'm starting a jazz band and you're my lead tenor sax player and our rehearsal's five o'clock. And I go, but I don't play saxophone. And he goes, that's okay. You have all day to learn. And he actually, you know, gave me a note to get out of class and I went down to the music room and spent the whole day finding my way around a saxophone and sat in on the rehearsal that night. So since then, it, I realized it's just something I love. I, I give him a lot of credit um, for recognizing the skill or the possibility of the skill, whatever he recognized. And so when I uh, got out of high school, I actually studied uh, jazz at York University. And while there, I got in involved in some gigs and two of the most important pieces of advice I ever received in my life. And I've lived by them both. I was doing a gig down at Queen in Portland with a, a uh, Duke Ellington style band that was made up of some of the top musicians in Toronto. If anybody knows jazz, uh, most of the guys were from the Boss Brass, which, which was a yeah, yeah. top band. And I was playing baritone sax sitting beside um, uh, Eugene Amaro, who at the time was, again, a major recording artist and one of the top guys in the town. And he said, he gave me two pieces of advice. Number one, he said, he said, son, you're a fine player. You could make it in the music industry. But if I could do it again, I would do something else for money. And I would play music for love. Mm-hmm. And I really took that to heart. And that's shortly after that, that's when, when I decided to take that advice. And, and my father actually had an advertising agency. My father had a marketing background, worked at Nestle, and then worked with Dave Nickel when they rebuilt Loblaws. And so, you know, as a kid, I went to TV commercials and radio commercial sets. And so I knew that whole world. So it was a pretty easy thing to step into when an opportunity came up. Uh, But I continued playing music all the time. And it's funny, I just took a break from gigging. But in the last 10 years, I did about 1,100 gigs. And that's a lot of work when you have a day job. (laughs) And, you know, you get home at 1 a.m. and you're getting back up at 6 a.m. to start to get into (laughs) 
that Eugene gave me, and he said, every musician I know tells tales of woe, of instruments they've sold and regret selling. He goes, son, he liked calling me son. Son, don't ever sell a saxophone. And to this day, I've never sold a saxophone. Uh, the challenge yeah, I mean, is buying I them. You, I hear you've got quite a collection as well. So, Well, it, it, and that's where it actually came into, you, you asked me what's going on with the saxophone. Is you know, I'm, a, I'm a decent player. Yeah, I'm a pro saxophonist, but I'm not, I'm not the top guy in the city and I'm not the top guy anywhere. I realized where I have a, an interest is being able to stack my skills as a player, as a, a student of history. Um, I also have a, a strong background in you know, game theory and math and building databases. And I realized that there was a big hole in the world of the saxophones is detailed study of saxophone development in history. There's lots of mythology about them, but very little actual knowledge. So I used my saxophone collection and my skill and basically wrangled my way into a meeting with the top saxophone manufacturer in the world. They're, the company's called Selmer Paris, and they're not unsurprisingly located in Paris, France. And so I actually started working with them and became their archivist. And worked. they have 100 years of uh, Selmer saxophone production. And they gave me full access to it. So I became essentially, well, after years of hard work, I essentially overnight became the world's leading expert in Selmer saxophone history. And the, the funny thing, everybody knew that these archives were in Selmer Paris. This is a lesson for anybody listening to this podcast. Everybody knew they had these archives, but the, the, the mythology was, oh, they don't share that with anybody. They don't talk about it. So when I went and had a meeting and said, will you give me access to photograph and study and work with your art? Like, everybody says, you don't give access to it. And <laughs> Mr. Selmer laughed at me and he goes, to be honest, Doug, you're the first person who's ever asked. <laughs> and it's happened to me a couple times over my career yeah. when you go hey this is a great idea somebody must have done it already do not fall into that trap the odds are somebody's done it already but it's entirely possible you just came up with a unique twist on something and you know i can create a career or a business or a, or a hobby or something out of it always yeah. ask that question always dig down and three or four times i found the answer to be holy crap, nobody's done this before. Sort of, sort of like, like my thing is, your thing is always ask that question. My thing is always make the call in terms of if you have a brilliant idea, find out who's going to be interested and don't be scared to make the call to the most influential people. I mean, that, that's it. And we were talking just a little bit. I mean, you know, we both started businesses and, and grown businesses. You know, in terms of the wisdom, what I term the wisdom factor, what kind of wisdom do you think you can pass on to some of the, the, the newer entrepreneurs that, that will listen to this? Well, what I, what I learned at, for about 20 years, I ran what I called a micro venture capital firm, helping small businesses get beyond the startup stage and not get to the point where they're going public, but get to the point where they're profitable and, and moving and hiring employees and such. The biggest mistake almost every entrepreneur does, is they don't plan pessimistically. They plan optimistically. Everything goes right. I'll have this much revenue and this much cost. And as soon as something goes wrong, you're screwed. You have to plan for problems, plan for mistakes, plan for getting kicked out of a rental or the software you're building not working. Or you, you just have to have extra reserves or at least know where you can get them. That's the number one. I took it was able to take it to my advantage a number of times. People had great ideas and great businesses, and they were just 20,000 short of being able to pull it off. I could buy and 
you know, inordinately large piece of their company for the $20,000 investment and then step in and help them manage it. Right. And I never, I, I don't like taking advantage of people, but I basically said for a number of those ventures, you know, I'll invest my money. And when you pay back my money, I'll cut my ownership in half. And over a period of time, there's a, a you know, a scaling amount of how much to get me out <laughs> and a successful business. I invest my money and their main job is to get rid of me. And they pay me double or triple my money over two years and I'm out. They're happy. I'm happy. Everybody wins. So what's been the greatest challenge you faced in your in business to date that you've hopefully overcome, but not necessarily? The greatest challenge that I successfully overcame was I was in a business where you're constantly looking for new business. You're constantly potentially unemployed. I had a project-based business. And the biggest challenge I, I saw was converting projects into programs. So I, in the early 90s, reinvented my company to say, you know, hey, I got a great job with Procter & Gamble. It's $50,000 and then it's done and I have to go beg for another one. I converted my business into programs. I won't discuss the details, but my top client has been a client since 1994 and is a six-digit monthly client. It's mm-hmm. just a wonderful way to build a business when you have essentially guaranteed business that allows you to, to step off of the accelerator once in a while and start thinking of breadth and development and planning rather than frantic business marketing. So we're going to do some rapid fire questions now. So, you know, don't spend too long thinking about them, but if you weren't doing what you do for work now, what would you be doing instead? Yeah. What I would be doing and what I will be doing is taking advantage of the knowledge I built in, in saxophone playing and history and such. And I'm actually uh, in, the pro- in the process of launching my own podcast series on saxophone history. If I wasn't doing that, God knows, it might be a farmer. <laughs> what books are you currently reading, listening to, whatever? And, and you know, in today's world, what would you recommend to, to the audience? I'm a fan of history. We, we don't study enough time with history. We, we can learn from it, read mistakes, read biographies, read Churchill, read Eisenhower's biography. Read Julius Caesar's biography. Read biographies of famous people. They've learned, they've lived, you know, and, and a good biography admits mistakes. And there's a whole lot of learning out of reading about other people's growth and development. Kind of like what you're doing here. I mean, I, I, yeah. I love this podcast. I'd listen to a bunch of them and, you know, young, eager people, great ideas, great opportunities. You know, I'll say anybody listening, just Listen to 20 or 30 of these things. It's really, really interesting how many different ways there are to build your life. Yeah, thanks. That's, that's, really, that's the kind of stories that we were trying to get out there. If you had to describe yourself in one word, what would that word be? You can try two if you want. Yes, it's a long pause now as I'm thinking. <laughs> um, a, a couple, well, a word that comes to mind is persistent. Yeah, get something in my mind. If I could find a, a, a clever phrase, patient, persistent, and elegantly aggressive. You don't want to be offensively aggressive, but find a way to be elegantly aggressive. I, I, I want to tell you one story. I was, when I was a teenager, I had an interest, and have all my life, an interest in flying airplanes. So um, it wasn't very popular at the time, but I joined the Air Cadets and then spent a little time in the Royal Regiment after that. Another great piece of advice I learned was in the Air Cadets. When I learned the, the Canadian military definition of leadership, every business leader, every person starting out needs to memorize this and live by it. So here it goes, quote, leadership 
is the art of getting you to do what I want you to do because you want to do it. It sounds trite and simple, but you know, repeat that to yourself a couple times. And it, it, it perfectly describes it. Every business, you create the environment where people want to succeed. And it just makes so much sense. Yeah, I, I tried to live by that too. Yeah, my version of that is never sell anything to anybody. Let them buy it. Exactly. And those two dovetail right together, don't they? That's right, yeah. What's your most favorite place in the world and why? Well, it, I've, got, I've got three. If you're talking vacations, Hawaii is heaven. Hawaii is beautiful. Um, I've been spending a lot of time in, in France lately, so I would say Paris is, is beautiful. But to be perfectly honest, uh, five years ago, I, I made a change in my personal life. I lived in Markham, and I moved out of Markham into a very quiet, very remote forest. And I, it's my favorite place in the world. I wake up in the morning, and the deer and the turkeys are on the front lawn, and it, it's heaven, it's serenity, and it, it's just the perfect way to wake up every day. Routines are really important. What are your kind of not three, it doesn't have to be three, what are your non-negotiables in terms of your morning and evening routines? Get up early. I get up, you know, I'm not frantically early, but I'm up at six by 6.15. It's kind of living remotely. Some mornings I'm on my tractor cutting lawn at 6.15. Get up early and get going on the day. If I'm not up and showered and doing something by 6.30, then to me, it's, it's yeah. feeling like a waste of a day. Number two, do something. You can't solve every problem. People make great big to-do lists and they, they get bogged down by them. Just do something, just anything. Like solve something, fix something. And number three, learn something. Learn something every day. I've become a fan of, of podcasts. Um, you know, I've become disillusioned a little bit with like typical TV and radio. And I just love, you know, I pick a podcast. Right now I'm listening to um, a wonderful podcast about the Anglo-Saxon history of England. Does that affect my life? Not really, but they're all the same people doing all the same things. And, you know, just, just learn something. Learn a new language. Learn a new math skill. Learn something. Learn anything. And the day you stop learning is the day you should start getting worried, I think. So... There's this tropical island. It's beautiful. It's not Hawaii. <laughs> In the middle of the ocean, it's got one phone booth and no internet. We drop you off there with no technology. You can use a phone booth to call us to come and pick you up. How long would you last before making the call? And what would you do? Oh, this is easy. I have stuff to do. I, when they drop me off, I'd be on that same plane or boat or whatever. I, I don't have time to relax. And, and I, I would consider that a waste. Get me back to where I can do stuff. No time at all. So same day for me. Same day? Same day. <laughs> like I've, I've got things to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's the one, the one thing is I don't like, I don't like going to, I don't know, to, well, I mean, we've just had this terrible hurricane in the Bahamas, but I have no interest in just going to the Bahamas and lying on a beach for a week. Maybe for an hour, but I'd be bored of that. Let's get, let's get stuff done. And that, I think that's from a lifetime of always having stuff to do. Like, I will never be bored. Doug, it's, there's some gems in, the, in this interview. Thank you. I think people listening to it are really going to enjoy it. And if it sparks them, you know, how can they get a hold of you? you know, do you want to add anything that, that I've missed out? 
Um, I'm not actively investing in businesses right now. So if somebody thought about that, that's probably not uh, where I'm going, but I'm certainly happy to answer questions. I have, I have started, managed, and sold about 40 businesses in my life. A couple of them spectacularly unsuccessfully, but most of them successfully. And so if anybody wanted some advice on building a business, yeah, they can always reach me. Um, my email is the same as my name, douglas at pifer.com. And that is pifer is spelled P-I-P-H-E-R. Anybody can just uh, reference the podcast. By all means, send me an email and, and happy to help. Doug, thanks so much for coming on to Canada's podcast. As I said, I think it'll be a, it's a great, it'll be a great listen. Thank you pleasure. Thank you. Thanks everyone for taking the time today to listen to Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters or write a review for us on iTunes. You can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or at canadaspodcast.com where you can listen, discover, and engage. You can also check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. I'll see you next time.